Well, hello. hello. Good, not great. Well, hello. Okay, 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 right on. Hey, I want to say hello to all of our locations, uh, Littleton, Lakewood, Golden, <laughs> Arvada, all the inmates at both of our God Behind Bars campuses, men and women, we love you like crazy. We're so glad to be doing church with you today. <clears throat> You guys feeling good? You sound good? You look good from this, from this perspective. Granted, I have really bright lights in my eyes and can't see most of you, but from what I can see, you look good. Tell your neighbor, no matter where you're at right now, tell your, tell your neighbor, say, you look good. Tell them. Like, tell them like you mean it. You look good. What you doing after this? What you doing after this? There's no better place to meet your future spouse than church. We're in this series called Once Upon a Time, and as I was watching the message last week, which by the way, hasn't Chad done an amazing job for the first two weeks of this series? So I'm, I'm watching the message, and I, and I read, you know, um, Fairy Tales and Falls, and I started laughing because I thought, man, I wonder if that's what Jill thinks about our marriage. Like it started off as a fairy tale and real quick went to a fall. Um, and, and it kind of did, and so just forgive me ahead of time. Um, I'm, I was just a young kid, not, I didn't have a clue what was going on, just, you know, excited to be married, and people are like, are you nervous? And I'm like, the only thing I'm nervous about is, like, living with a girl. I mean, this is weird, right? And I remember we came home from the honeymoon, and it, it, we had, you know, we got the place, but we didn't live together, then we went on the honeymoon, then we came back, and it was our place, and I remember, like, sitting on the couch, and I was like, so you're staying, huh? <laughs> like, it's a whole new deal. And, and the, the system that I was in failed me because nobody told me at the beginning that it was a bad idea the first few months of marriage to have my best friends come over every night. <laughs> and so I didn't realize that. Um, and so I was trying to think this week, and, and this is a guess, but I, I, I'm going to guess it's pretty accurate. Out of the first 100 nights that me and Jill were married, I'm going to guess that Chad was there 62 of them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's, that's probably a pretty accurate guess. And um, we did the same thing every night, which was play PlayStation, just stuff, you know, mature married people do. Jill did not realize that when she said I do, she was saying I do to me and Chad. <laughs> and and this, is, this is sad but true. Most of those nights would end like this. Jill would like walk into the living room and be like, okay, about bedtime, huh? <laughs> and I thought she just was tired. I didn't realize that was my cue to ask my friend to go home. And so I can't tell you how many of those times I literally went, well, then you get on in there. You get on in there and go to bed there, honey. I'll be out here. Taking care of some things, just praying for the nations out here with Chad. <laughs> Guys, in our first 100 days of marriage, Jill had 62 reasons to leave me. I'm going to tell you that right now. And, and then I went and made it worse. I was like, hey, Chad, you're over here so much anyways. Why don't you just move in? And he's like, well, did you ask Jill? I'm like, ah, that's cool. <laughs> Honey, I'm so sorry. You deserve better. 
And then, so Chad just starts living with us. And between me and Chad, and I started making lists of some things that happened. We lost the dog, ruined a couch. Um, we would move all the furniture. My wife was trying so hard to be like a happy homemaker. And Chad and I would move all the furniture, strip down to our underwear, and have sumo wrestling fights. <laughs> In our defense, most of that happened when she was gone, all right? But it happened. We burnt down the garage. Great story. Totaled her car. I mean, I could just keep going. <laughs> Honey, I do. And this is Chad. <laughs> the fact that I'm still married is proof that God exists. But let me tell you this. I'm married today, 17 years later, because of one word, forgiveness. That's why, because my wife has extended me an unbelievable amount of mercy and forgiveness, and you, Chad. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about forgiveness and how foundational it has to be in our lives if we want to have good marriages, if we want to have marriages that last. Single people, if you want to have a marriage someday that lasts, better just start practicing forgiveness now. God gets real serious about this. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness. That means bitterness caused by every single person, every single time, no matter what happened. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God gets real serious here and he says, make no mistake about it. This is not a suggestion. I'm not asking you to do something. I'm commanding. Because my son, Jesus, is going to get up on a cross and pay the price for your sins. He's going to go to unbelievable lengths to make sure that you get mercy, that you get grace, that you get forgiveness. Forgiveness that you could never earn, that you've never deserved. And so he says, I'm commanding you to then go into your own life. And when somebody sins against you, everyone, every time, whether they've deserved it, apologized, made it right or not, he says, I'm commanding you to forgive them. Forgiveness is foundational. And, and we don't have to be in church, right, for, for probably all of us to go, yeah, if you want to have a marriage that lasts year after year after year, forgiveness is going to have to be a part of it, right? We just kind of know that. The famous Billy Graham, his wife said this, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Isn't that true? A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Problem for us is, is we don't like doing it. I mean, right? I mean, isn't that true? We don't like forgiving. I don't like to forgive. I hardly ever feel like it. You don't like to forgive. You hardly ever feel like it. And isn't it crazy? Nobody has to teach us how to hold on to unforgiveness. Probably not one of you has ever taken a class on how to hold on to unforgiveness, yet every single one of us knows how to do it. Isn't that true? My seven-year-old um, had an accident this week. Go ahead and put that picture up. That's Ashton, a little stud. Broke his foot playing basketball with his brothers in the house. <laughs> he broke his foot because one of his brothers threw a basketball at him and he tripped and fell. 
You can go ahead and take that picture down. Now, so, so his brother that did that, actually, you know, everyone was signing the cast, and on the cast, he put, sorry. <laughs> so I asked Ashton, I said, you know your brother didn't mean to do it, and he's obviously apologized. Do you forgive him? And Ashton looked at me real serious. He goes, no, I don't forgive him. And I go, why not, son? He goes, because he broke my foot. <laughs> to which I was like, yeah, good point. I get that. Yeah, I, I can't even blame you for that. Isn't it true, though, like, we don't like to forgive people because look what they did. Look what they said. Look what they should have did and didn't. Look what happened. Look how long it happened. Look how many times that. We're the same as my son. No one ever has to teach us to hold on to unforgiveness. And, and, and forgiving somebody, it, it never comes easy. It's not natural. It doesn't usually make sense. I don't usually ever feel like doing it. And truth be told, I've actually sat in church services like this where somebody on stage said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to just forgive them and, and, and got mad. Like, I don't want to just not listen to the dude. Now I want to fight him. Because <laughs> you don't have a clue what I've been through, right? I mean, don't we think that? Like, don't tell me to forgive. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know how long it happened. You don't know what that does to a person. It's a tough subject. But know this, Jesus understood that it was a tough subject. He knew that it would be tough for us to extend forgiveness, especially to people who don't ask for it, who don't deserve it, who haven't tried to make it right. He understands, doesn't he? Because think about the people he loved most the people he trusted most in this world, the closest people to him. They stole from him. They lied about him. They went behind his back, betrayed him, denied even knowing who he was, got him arrested, beaten, and murdered. Yeah, he, he understood. He understands, doesn't he? But he also understands how life-impacting forgiveness is. Not just for our marriage, definitely for our marriage, but not just for our marriage, also for our lives. And so Jesus went way out of his way to start to explain to us why it's so important. If you have your Bible, flip open to Matthew chapter 18. If not, no problem. The words uh, will be up on the screen here in a minute. Excuse me. <clears throat> so in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, let me tell you why forgiveness is so important. And he tells this story about a king. He said, there's this king, and he's owed a debt. There, there's, there's, a, there's a man who owes this king a debt, about $100,000. Big debt, right? This guy can't pay it, doesn't have a chance, has no means, no way of ever paying off this debt. And back then, you can't just declare bankruptcy. Back then, if you owe a debt that you can't pay, they sell your kids into slavery, they sell your family into slavery. They sell you into slavery. They sell off all your possessions. That's how you pay your debts. Can't just declare bankruptcy. Anybody at every campus, let me see a show of hands. Anybody watch The Office? One of the greatest shows ever made, obviously, right? Michael Scott's not even an actor to me. He's a real person. Some of you may remember the, the episode where he declared bankruptcy. <laughs> he had heard you could declare bankruptcy if you get in financial Trouble, and so he stood up in front of the office one day, and he goes, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and, and Oscar's like, no, Michael, mm -mm. you can't just say it. He goes, I didn't just say it, I declared it. 
no, no, Michael, that's not how it works. <laughs> if you haven't watched The Office recently, you need Jesus. I love that show. You can't just declare bankruptcy. This guy's sunk, his family sunk, and all of a sudden, the king extends him mercy, extends him grace, and says, you know what? You are unconditionally and freely forgiven of your debt. Hundred grand, wiped away. He then goes around the corner, runs into a guy that owes him 10 bucks, and refuses to forgive him. After the king just forgave him of everything, he refuses to forgive this guy, and the king is furious. And here's what he says, Matthew 18, 32 through 34. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger. His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And everybody listening went, what? Like they understood. It just wasn't easy to hear. They understood what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, God has made a way to forgive you of a debt that you could never repay on your own. You've been unconditionally and freely forgiven. And you're going to turn around and not forgive somebody who sins against you? He says, if you do that, let me tell you what you're doing. You are, in essence, putting yourself in bondage to be tortured. And everybody went, no, 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 I'm making them pay. And Jesus said, no, you're making you pay. See, forgiveness is about freedom. Forgiveness is about, it's not just about a better marriage, although that's one of the byproducts. It's also about freedom to experience the kind of marriage that God has for you. Freedom to experience the kind of life that God has for you. He said, forgiveness is about freedom. When you and I choose to hold on to unforgiveness, and I've done it more times than I'd like to admit, it's like I'm saying, what you did hurt me. But now I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to chain myself to that hurt so that it keeps hurting me. Week after week, month after month. For some of us, let's be honest, year after year. Isn't that true? And it gets so twisted in our minds because in our minds what makes sense is, no, 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 what you did was wrong, so I'm going to make it right. And I'm going to do what feels right. And this is going to help me deal. And it's going to help me figure it out. And it's going to make me feel better. I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to make things even. I'm going to hold on to this. That's my right. And Jesus said, it's your right. But you're torturing yourself. That holding on to unforgiveness, it's actually putting you in bondage. You're not hurting the other person only but you're also hurting you. You're torturing yourself. Author Anne Lamott says it this way, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. <laughs> Jesus said, you gotta get this. Unforgiveness punishes the unforgiver. That's who pays. And I've experienced this firsthand, and I know a bunch of you have too. And depending on how long you've been at the church, you know some of my story. I try real hard to be pretty open with it. 
But when I was two, my mom married her drug dealer, and he adopted me and became my dad, the only dad I'd ever met. And so my whole life, I've called him dad. To me, he may not be my biological father. That doesn't matter. He is my dad. He is my father, and I love him. But if he were here with us today, he would say, but we've had our challenges. We've had our ups and downs. And some things happened at one point, and the details aren't important. But I got so hurt that I said, you know what? I'm done. I don't have a dad. That's what I told myself. I'm done. I'll never be hurt again like that. And I just cut him off in my mind and in my life. And I wouldn't take his calls and I wouldn't call him back and I wouldn't visit if I went back to Kansas. Like it just wasn't happening. And, 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 and I chose to hold on to this unforgiveness because I'm going to make him pay. I'm going to make him feel what I felt. I'm going to do what's right. And this went on at first just for weeks and then for months and then I blinked and it had went on for years. That was really never my intention. It just sort of happened that way. And then I got married and I didn't invite him to the wedding. We talk about regret. And then a few years went by and me and Jill had our first child, Ethan. And if you've ever had a child, you know like that's the day of every day of your life. That's the day where you want to call and share it with some people that are special to you. That's the day you want to share it with your mom, share it with your dad. Like, I have a son. I'm a father. I want to call my dad. But I couldn't. Because I hadn't talked to him for years. And all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, stop it. Call your dad. And so I went down in my basement so I could be alone. And I dialed his number. I didn't even know if it was still his number. I didn't even know if he'd recognize my voice. It had been so long. I didn't have a clue what I was going to say. And to my surprise, one of the first things I said was, I'm sorry. Now, see, what's crazy about that is, is at the time, if you'd have put me on a lie detector test, I could have told you with 100% honesty, 99.999% of the problem is not me, it's him. And let me tell you why. To my own surprise, I said, I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry. I start crying. He starts crying. We had this like huge moment and it began this process of putting our lives back together. In fact, a few weeks ago, I had a steak dinner with him for his birthday. I'm telling you, when I hung that phone up, it was like I stepped out from under a squat rack. I didn't even know I was in bondage until I'd experienced the freedom. I didn't even know I was living in torture until I'd experienced the freedom. That's what Jesus said he wants for every single one of us. He said the forgiveness, it's going to help the relationship. It's going to be essential to a marriage, but it's going to change your life. It's going to set you free. And some of you know what that feels like, and some of you desperately need to know what that feels like. You deserve to experience freedom. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I want for you. I want you to be free. Free to experience the plans that God has for you, and free to experience the marriage that God has for you. But to experience those two things, 
unforgiveness will have to take place to ever experience that kind of freedom. And since we're in a relationship series, let me let, me let you in on a little secret about forgiveness. Even when it is between you and somebody outside of your marriage, it'll affect your marriage. Go ahead and put that slide up. Not forgiving someone outside of your marriage will cause all sorts of problems inside of your marriage. See, we'd like to think that we can keep those two things separate. We'd like to think that I can hold on to unforgiveness and this is over here and then my marriage will be over here. Unfortunately, God said it doesn't work that way, does it? Throughout this series, Chad's been in the book of Genesis. Let's go back there, Genesis 2, 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. According to the word of God, when we get married, two distinct individuals become one. Physically, mentally, spiritually, we become one. That means if I refuse to forgive my dad, according to Jesus himself, I choose to put myself in bondage. And I allow bitterness and anger and rage and slander and malice and all of it. I allow that to be a part of my life because I choose unforgiveness, which means I put myself in bondage, which means even if I don't want it to affect my wife, see, two became one. So if I put me in bondage, I bring my spouse and I put my spouse in bondage and I take our whole marriage hostage, sabotage the whole thing. I don't get to hold on to unforgiveness over here and think that it won't affect my marriage over here. See how that works? That's why a really good marriage is going to have to be made up of two really good forgivers. Two become one. And when I lose my freedom, it costs my spouse. And I lose the freedom to hold on to, to take hold of the plans God has for me and the marriage God has for me. Because see, freedom, I mean forgiveness, excuse me, is about freedom. I'm a visual learner, and so I've got an illustration that I hope will help you remember this. Um, Ronnie and Tyler, would you guys come on out? And, and as they come out, would you give it up for the Littleton Campus pastor and our worship leader? <laughs> come on out here, you good-looking men. I learn by seeing things. I remember better if I see something. And so my hope is, is that this will help you remember. So here in a second, not just yet, but here in a second, I'm going to ask Tyler to start loading up Ronnie here with some basketballs. And every one of these basketballs represents a past hurt that for the sake of our illustration, Ronnie hasn't been able to let go of. All right, Tyler, go ahead. And I want you to imagine that this is you. Imagine that, I know for some of you, it's something that happened when you were a little kid. I talked to someone recently who said, my whole problem, I think, in life right now is that some things happened when I was a little kid, and I still don't know how to figure it out in my mind. Ronnie, Ronnie got hurt, but he held on to it. 
Tyler, don't you put those on there so they fall off. Don't ruin my illustration. And so what happens is, and, and listen, let's be honest, every single one of us are tempted to live this way. Every single one of us have had hurts in our life. And we hold on to them. And, and listen, R- Ronnie looks pretty silly right now. But I want you to understand something. If past hurts weren't invisible, this is what a lot of us would look like every day. This is what we would look like walking around in our day. And see, the problem is, is it takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of emotion, a lot of mental uh, capacity, a lot of heart capacity to hold on to lost hurts, to constantly deal with the bitterness and the guilt and the anger and everything that comes with it. And here's the problem, Tyler. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. (laughs) For the sake of our illustration, this, this is the money ball right here. If you've ever seen the three-point contest at the NBA All-Star Weekend, every rack of basketballs has a money ball. It's the most important one. It's worth more than the rest, right? This represents God's plan for Ronnie today. See, Ronnie's been praying about some things. One of them is that I would hurry up because his shoulders are burning right now. (laughs) Ronnie's been praying about some things. God's put some things on his heart and in his mind and some dreams. And Ronnie's been praying. And God comes along and he says, Ronnie, now is my perfect timing for you and the experiences and the plans I have for you. Ronnie, here's the plans I have for your life. Here, take hold of them. Ronnie, it's going to take more than two fingers, dog. Come on. He can't, can he? Because his hands are full. Holding on to yesterday's hurts. I'm telling you, this is an illustration of what's going on in some of our lives right now. We can't take hold of what God has for us right now because all our emotional energy and all our capacity is being used up holding on to past hurts. And we forfeit what God has planned for us now, see. And we don't just forfeit the freedom to experience God's plan for our lives. We forfeit the freedom to experience God's marriage that he has intended for our lives. Kara, would you come out? Can you guys put your hands together, make some noise for Ronnie's wife, Kara? The first lady here at Littleton. Now see... Kara, Ronnie, Ronnie's a wreck, let's be honest. And we're in church, we should tell the truth. I think I'm going to say what everybody's thinking. You could have done better. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> okay. He's got you brainwashed, doesn't he? I just gotta, Let's just have a conversation, see how long he can hold these basketballs. Kara, Ronnie has dreamed of being a husband his whole life. He knows the kind of husband he's called to be. He knows the kind of husband he's dreamt of being. And he wants to show you how much he loves you. Would you go over there and let your husband just give you a hug? Ronnie, hug your wife. (laughs) See, see, Kara, the problem is, is there's a certain kind of man that Ronnie wants to be. But he's, so much of him is wrapped up in past hurts, but he can't. So Kara, since he's in bondage right now, would you do the work in this relationship? Would you hug him? 
Now, this is silly, but I'm telling you right now, some of your marriages look like that. Do that one more time. One of you's trying so hard, but you're both in bondage, right? You can't experience what God wants you to in marriage while you're holding on to all these hurts. Now, let's say that Ronnie feels like God's talking to him and says, you know what? It's time to let go of some of these past hurts. It's time to make the choice and start doing the work of forgiveness. Kara, would you help him to start doing some forgiving and, and letting loose of some of these past hurts? You know, he's shaking in his boots right now. Those shoulders are burning. <laughs> Let's just say that Ronnie today says, I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to send a text. I'm going to send an email. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. Not because they've earned it. Not because I'm saying what they did was right. Not because they've even tried to make it right. But because God's called me to live this way. And I deserve to experience the freedom that God has for me. And one at a time, he starts doing the work of forgiveness. And listen. And then God comes along and he says, Ronnie, I've got plans for your life here. Take hold of it. See, now it's no problem. Not only is he now free to start to experience the plans God has for him, but he's free to start experiencing the marriage that God has in store for him. And Ronnie, I was going to say, you may now kiss your bride, but we're in church. I think you two need to keep it clean. So Ronnie, you may now hug your bride. Ronnie, hug that woman. <laughs> guys, guys, come right up here and, and Kara, hug him one more time like you like him. Listen, that's what it's supposed to be right there. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to let loose of these past hurts to do the work of forgiveness, not just to let somebody off the hook, but so we can be set free, so we can experience the plans God has for us inside of the marriage God has for us. And unless we're willing to let loose of some past hurts, that can't happen. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Guys, give them a hand. So what about you? Where are you at with this? You're human, which means you've probably experienced some hurts. And we all know how this works, right? There are just certain times that we get hurt and it just doesn't go away as easy, does it? It stays with us and it hurts more. And there's more shrapnel, there's more debris, there's more wreckage in our life from certain things, isn't there? Has somebody hurt you? And you just haven't been able to put it in the past yet? Maybe it was when you were a kid. And it wasn't fair. And it wasn't right. And it shouldn't have happened. But it did. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was some, someone in your family. Maybe it was last week. Is God speaking to you right now? Is there somebody, is there something that you know and that hurt you've just been holding on to and that unforgiveness you've just been holding on to and right this moment you're starting to understand God's starting to reveal to you the truth and the truth is that he wants to set you free? Is that you? And listen, if you're like me, I've sat in a service like this while I knew in my heart I was holding on to unforgiveness. And the truth is, even though I felt called to forgive, I didn't even know where to start. And maybe you feel that way. 
Because see, for me, every time I would even try to like, like figure it out in my mind, like, okay, I'm going to forgive my dad. Every time I said that, I would picture him. I would picture some of the things that happened. And I literally could not bring myself to act. And as I was getting ready for today, it hit me. The two passages that we read, Matthew 18 and Ephesians 4, there's a common denominator. In both of them, he says, here's where forgiveness starts. You focus on me. It's you forgive just as I forgave you. What I needed to do was stop putting all my focus on him and stop putting all my focus on what has happened and start putting all my focus on him. And I'm going to paraphrase something that I heard someone say a long time ago, and it's this. Listen, this is so true. You won't find freedom while you're focusing on the person who hurt you. You find freedom when you start focusing on the God that forgave you. That's where you find freedom. And that's where we start when we go, okay, God, you know what's happened, and you know how bad it's hurt me. And you know what I'm going through, and you know what it's cost. I don't even know where to start. It hurts so bad. Then don't focus on the person. And don't focus on the events. Start to focus on what your God has already done for you. And that will start to give you the fuel to move forward. And to make the choice to start to forgive. Forgiveness is always a choice. It's not a feeling. Sometimes I hear people say, I'm just praying that God would help me forgive. And usually what that means is I'm praying that God would make me feel like forgiving. Now, forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a choice. So we say, I'm going to focus on what Jesus did for me and the way I've been forgiven, and I'm going to make the choice to go do the work of forgiveness. And it's then that the miraculous power of God shows up in our obedience and starts to change lives. And Red Rocks Church, that's not just fancy church talk. That's actually happening today. Watch this. My mom and my dad were alcoholics, and they both did a lot of drugs. And so for me, of what I do remember of my childhood, it was, it was very dysfunctional. I lived a lot in fear because um, my dad had beat my mom a lot. And so having seen my mom like taken away on stretchers because my dad had like just beaten her real bad, and then um, seeing my dad um, do the things that he did to her, but yet love him at the same time, but not understand like why he would do that, but still would want them both in my life. And, um, you know, I was taken away. My br youngest brother and I were taken away from my parents and put in a foster home for a couple months because um, just of the environment that we lived in. And then um, because my mom had chosen to run away from my dad, she had brought my younger brother and I with her, and we stayed in women's shelters, probably about three or four of them, just to stay away from my dad. And we would get kicked out out of all of them because my mom had a drinking problem, and so we were homeless for a while. And, uh, and then eventually my mom ended up going back to my dad, and that was when uh, my abuse had started. So I was molested. Um, by two of my brothers, older brothers, at the age of five for about three years. My brothers would, like at night, I don't know who it was, but people would, I would hear like people, see people crawling on the carpet, like in my room, like 
at night and like feeling around in my bed and I just, I knew what was going on, I knew what was happening and so I never slept. I stayed awake like every night in fear of like, I don't want this to happen and I don't know who's like coming into my room. And my dad um, numerous, numerous times threatened my brother and I if we ever told anybody that he would like kill us or that he would just, you know, or just beat us, you know, stuff like that. And so I always felt so uncomfortable around them. Anytime that I would go and stay at my dad's house to be with my brother and they were around, I like, refused to fall asleep. I refused to, um, I just, like, I didn't want them, I didn't know what they would do. And every time I saw them and they looked at me, I wondered what they were thinking. But then about a year later, after that, my mom had passed away. She had died unexpectedly. She uh, had lost a lot of weight the last year of her life. And she had spent a lot of time just abusing pain meds. And at that point I hated, like I hated my life. And I said, if this, if this, is what hell, like I feel like this is what hell is, like, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna be here, like I miss my mom, and um, so I tried to kill myself in sixth grade, I wanted to, like I just, I said there's no way out of this, like my family doesn't even know, um, do they even care? And then shortly after that, my dad got so drunk that he tried to kill himself, and so, it was just, it was really crazy, that's what I, that's what I grew up in for about the first like, 18 years of my life. That's just what I endured, that's what I knew as normal. I, I think for the first time in my life, I realized that um, the weight of everything that, that had been going on, like all the decisions that I'd made, the things that I was doing to myself, and um, how miserable I was, and that none of my family knew anything about me, so they couldn't be there for me like at all. And so at that moment, I, I remember thinking to myself, my life is never gonna get better. And I just remember saying, God, if you're real, like really, that's what I said, if you're real, help me. And that's all I said. A few months after that, I heard a sermon on forgiveness. And the only thing I remember about that sermon is at the very end, my pastor was like, um, and I know some of you in here have been abused and hurt by people that should have loved you and should have taken care of you. I sat there and I just, I felt so broken. I, and I just remember thinking, I don't want to be afraid anymore. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to isolate myself from people. I remember as soon as service ended and this woman was praying with me, um, I got up and I wiped my tears and I got in my car and I drove an hour and a half to go and confront my two brothers who they had no idea I was coming. I didn't call them. It was as if I just, I knew, I was like, I have to do this. If I don't do this now, I'm not gonna do it. And so I drove an hour and a half to go confront them and I was terrified. So I brought them outside and we sat on the porch and I sat them both down and they were just looking at me like it was any normal conversation. And um, I looked at them and the first thing I said was I remember what happened when I was a little girl. I remember what you guys did. And the moment that those words came out of my mouth, um, their faces got like blank and they just like put their heads down and didn't say anything. And um, after that I looked at them and I said, I know that this is a bad situation. I know that you guys have been through a lot too. And I know that you guys didn't have a great childhood. And I was like, I want you to know that. Like, I forgive you guys. And I completely let this go. Like, I don't want to live in this anymore. And I don't want you guys to live with it anymore either. It was not the outcome I was expecting at all. Um, they both asked for my forgiveness. 
and they both um, got up and hugged me and I let them and it wasn't, it, the coolest thing about that was it wasn't weird, it wasn't uncomfortable and um, they hugged me and they told me they loved me. I just desperately want them to have what I have and what I continue to have. So that's why I forgave them, not just for me and to, and to experience a healing that I'm still walking through today, but for them because they need it. And I know what God can do with one life and to imagine in my mind what he can do with those two is incredible. If it wasn't for forgiving, forgiving my brothers and forgiving not only them, but my dad for all of those things, I wouldn't have been able to walk through the healing process from all of that if I wasn't able to let go of the anger and just let them off the hook and that I don't have to be afraid of my past anymore, but I can embrace what happened because I know God's gonna use it. There's no way that I should be who I am now, and I am because of God, and I know that so many other people, that's my heart, is for so many other people, and that's what I like get so overwhelmed with is, if you only knew how real he was, and is, and what he could do with like one life in such a short period of time, if you just give him a chance, like, it's mind-blowing. What Crystal just said, that's what I think Jesus was saying to his best friends. And that's what I think he would say to every single one of us today. If you just give me a chance, the miraculous things I'll do in your life will be mind blowing. Look, I don't know a lot of you personally, and I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know what it's cost you. And I don't know what it's been like to live with that. But I do know what Jesus has done for every single one of us. And his promise to us is, if you just remember what I did for you, and then be obedient, just make that choice to do the work of forgiveness. He says, I'll get involved. And when he gets involved, miracles happen. That's what he wants. He wants us to just start to trust him enough. We don't have to know how it's gonna turn out. We don't have to know how the other person's gonna respond. We don't have to have the perfect things to say. All we have to do is be obedient and go, I'm just gonna go trust him and do the work of forgiveness and see what happens. According to Jesus, he said, you do this, it'll change your life. We know it'll change our marriages because it will set us free. That's what he wants. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for everything that you've already done for us. I thank you for what Jesus has already done for me that I never earned, that I've never been good enough to deserve. And so God, I pray that you would help me and every single one of us, every person listening, every person watching, I pray that you would help us to be mindful of what you've done for us and that that would provide us with the motivation and the ability to start forgiving others even when they don't deserve it. And God, I pray right now that you would give every single person listening to this and watching this, I pray that you would give them the, the ability, the courage to take that step of faith and begin to do what it is that you're calling them to do. 
And I thank you ahead of time for the miraculous things you're going to do in our lives because of it. God, it's our honor to worship you now with music. And as we do, I pray that you would just keep communicating with each one of us about our individual lives. And I pray that you would be glorified by our worship. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Red Rocks Church at every location. Would you stand up? Let's worship.